Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. We have two wonderful gentlemen joining us tonight. Novelist, short story writer, and journalist Santiago Gamboa was born in Colombia in 1965. His American debut, published by Europa in 2012, was the novel Necropolis, winner of the Otra Oria Literary Prize. He's also the author, author of Night Prayers. Um, and joining him is Andy Greenwald, the author, critic, podcaster, and screenwriter. From 2011 to 2015, he was a staff writer and principal TV writer for Grantland, and he now hosts the podcast, uh, The Watch on the Ringer. And they are here to talk about Gambo's new book, Return to the Dark Valley, uh, which imagines a sharp and at times dark sense of humor, a new Columbia that welcomes its children scattered across the world with advertising promises you must read, Gambo. Here they are. We don't need the microphones, but thank you for being here and thank you to Skylight for hosting us tonight. Um, before we get started, I just want to say what a great honor this is for me personally. I'm such a huge fan of the gentleman to my left here. Uh, I want to say that I, I discovered uh, the writing of Santiago Gamboa in a very um, elevated manner, which is to say I judged a book by its cover. Uh, last summer in New York City, I saw a book with a very eye-catching photo, a great title, uh, published by Europa, a wonderful publisher, a reference to Bolaño, and I picked it up, and within three pages I knew I'd made the right choice. It's the greatest feeling I think a reader can have to discover a world of an author that makes you feel like you've always known it a little bit somewhere inside of your brain and you never want to leave it, uh, even when things get rough, as they often do in Santiago's prose. Um, I think that he writes with such clarity, heart, and humanism about our current condition, um, about whatever the word globalism really means in this day and age. Um, and I'm incredibly honored to share the stage with him, especially to talk about such a phenomenal book as Return to the Dark Valley. But thank you. One needs me must say thank you for this marvelous place and to all of you for coming this evening. And uh, well, of course, first of all, I apologize because my English is not uh, as well as yours. <laughs> well, we could do this in Spanglish, as we've been doing all day, and he will win. I hope you will be patient with me, because I have, I've never been living or studying in English, but uh, well, it's, I think I can assure something like 65% of English. If I do, if I have any, any problem, uh, Andy speaks a very good Spanish also, so we can translate for you. I, I, I speak a very mediocre Spanish that I will not do in front of you in front of a microphone. Um, we're going to have a conversation for a little while um, about the new book and about Santiago's career. Um, I think he'd then like to read just a short passage from the book, and then we'd love to bring all of you in, into the conversation with questions or, or um, grammatical points about my Spanish or his English, depending. Um, just to begin, before we even get into the specifics of the book, uh, earlier today, Santiago, you mentioned to me that one of the pleasures of uh, touring in the United States is that it makes you feel very young, because though you have been a writer for 
quite some time and published many books. Yeah. Here you're only on book number three. Yeah, this is good for me because I feel really younger than I really am because I am <coughs> my third book in, in the US and in English. And in, in my real life, I am in my 10th novel plus other five books of non-fiction and uh, short stories. So uh, I am an old writer all, all in, in many other countries, but here I am younger. Is it, uh, is it a nice thing to be able to, in some ways, begin your career with your most recent work? Do you feel uh, well represented by that? Yeah, uh, the last uh, novel uh, for me is always the most uh, close. And then I feel like when you have a small child, you must protect him a little bit. Other books, old books, are already gone. They don't need my help, my company. But the new book, and this is the case, because in, also in Spanish, it's quite new, it's only seven months published in Spanish. So, uh, turn to the Dark Valley and trying to to help him a little bit, because he's a small child, even if he has 500, almost 500 pages. <laughs> a big baby. A big baby. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Um, we, we, I'd like to talk in a moment about the specific return that occurs in the novel and about the vision of a new Columbia that it presents, but I think it's worth um, talking a little bit about your own personal connection to that idea of returning, because um, you, as you told me today, left Colombia um, at the age of 19, yeah. and only recently made un regreso. Regreso, yeah. Recently yourself. Yeah, in, in, in this uh, idea, I can say that this is my first book written in Colombia, even if I am a Colombian writer, because I left when I was 19. I was born in Bogota, and my whole childhood and teenagers were in Bogota. Also in Bogota, I started to read, which was the most important decision, or not decision, but the most important great thing I did in my life is become a reader, and a heavy reader. From the first uh, two or three books, I discovered this new, this second world, and I decided to stay in that world. And I, since very young, I said, I want to live my whole life in this world, inside, not one single minute outside. And then I became, of course, writer, little by little. But when I was 19, uh, living in Colombia, I was only that reader who dreamed to be writer, which is, of course, a beautiful dream. And I left uh, for going to Spain as, uh, for the university. I went to, to the University of Madrid, and I, I was so excited because at 19 years old, for the first time, I left my, my family house, my my city and my country. So I, I felt completely free for the first time. I was a little bit scared, of course, also. But uh, I was completely free to do, finally, my own life. And uh, with this distance, I started to write. Just in a serious way, 
which means for me, which meant for me on those ages, and probably today also, is to have a project and to do that project. And my project was to write novels. Uh, my first uh, publication was a novel, not a, not a short story. Usually writers start with the short stories, which are, in a, uh, so to do a good short story is very hard, but it's easier to write 50, 25 pages is easier than 300. But I said, no, I want to write a novel. This must be my first book. So I started to, of course, to discover what uh, meant that decision is, uh, and trying to uh, find my own way to be writer. Because I think this is the first thing that a young writer must do discover his own way to be writer. It's not possible to use other ways, because other ways are already busy. And you must do something original that comes from you, comes from you. So it was very, for me, very interesting, all those experiences. At the same time, I was growing in, a, in another country, far away from my, from my region, from my original place discovering new things and becoming someone else. The, probably the most important uh, thing for me was discovered that it was much more interesting and much more deep and profound to be Latin American than only be Colombian. When I was living in Colombia, I was not almost aware to be Latin American. But when I went to Madrid, it was very, it was an incredible anecdote. I was in the university two or three months after my arrival. And uh, one day, a Spanish friend, two Spanish friends arrived very excited to me and, and saying, Santiago, in, uh, in French philology, because I was studying from the Spanish philology, Santiago, you must come. In French philology, there is an Argentinian. And I said, yes. For them, it was very, they considered it was an important information for me. <laughs> I've never seen, uh, in, in that period, an Argentinian in my life. But I said, okay, let's go. Let's go to see that Argentinian. I've never seen one. And, uh, and I, I went there. <clears throat> When I shake hands with that Argentinian, it, it, is, it was some, something very strong, like uh, an invisible light. And from one side, that Argentinian and me were. And in the other side was Spain and the Spanish people. And then I said, yes, this Argentinian and me we belongs to the same ideas region, history, we share many things. Of course, I've never been in Argentina, but I've read uh, Argentinian writers. Same for him, that's never been. A Colombian for him was, was probably even a friend <coughs> of me. And then after that, to this group arrived also a Peruvian and a Chilean, and we discovered, I think, together that it was much more 
profound, this feeling of being Latin American. And then I connect with the writers I was reading with all my admiration, the big Latin American writers that we call the boom, Carlos Fuentes, Garcia Marquez, Vargas Llosa, eh, Guillermo Cabrera Infante, and many others from other countries. And the most incredible thing that is, was that they were young. They were 60s, 58. So, eh, and they came very often to Spain. So it was, it was possible to, to go in a place and to have, with a book and to have a signature and hear what they were talking about. And it was an incredible experience for me that. And then I, I, I felt this Latin American identity very strong related with those authors. And I said, I, I want to, to be part of this tradition as a writer. I think we can read from all over the tradition, and so we are obligated to do that. But the most important is always the tradition in your, in the same language that you are going to write. So I was, of course, reading many other writers from from many other countries, but the Latin American writers were so important for me because of that, because they were. Uh, their talent was expressed in the same language I was. I wanted to, to write, so it was very important for me. So all these elements were creating my idea of writing. Uh, be uh, the travel because living in another country was very important for me. Then the relation with the with the region like Latin America, and the relation with the best culture and literature of that region and with all this I started to write my, my first novel in the 80s, you can imagine, it was in a typewriter machine and it was so even a physical effort, it was not only intellectual and it was very, for me it was very hard and sometimes many, for a long period of my life, of, of those ages, uh, my project was different. You know. Sometimes the novel had, had 800 pages. One year later, it was 300 pages only. And then again, 600. And little by little, I started to, to deal with this kind of monster who is a first novel. And then the big dream to publish that which is very difficult for a young writer unknown to arrive with this and to give to someone other, someone else, and then wait. Because the talent, you don't know if you have it or not. It's, it's, the, or it's the others who give you the position or the... You know. So it was very interesting. It was sad sometimes, sometimes beautiful, and uh, well, Finally, I published my first book, but after and it, it was well received. But after a first book, well received, is a big problem also because everybody is waiting your second book, <laughs> yes. and some are like snipers <laughs> waiting in the in the, in the curve. 
So, well, but it's, this is more or less how I, I started with my writing and with my travel in, in life. The, the anecdote you told about collecting a uh, posse of other Latin Americans, in some ways there's a connection to be made to the beginning of the new book, to Return to the Dark Valley, in which the various characters um, all gather initially in Madrid, much as you did. Um, the main character of the novel is uh, the nameless consul, who is no longer working for the consulate as he was in Night Prayers, but people still like to call him that because it's a cool title. Uh, uh, Juana, a character also from Night Prayers, and then some new characters, Manuela Beltran, who is a, uh, a poet who has had her poetry stolen from her, and uh, Tertullian, who is, claims to be the son of the Pope, but is also a heavily tattooed um, torturer who hunts down bad guys. Uh, this is, I'm doing a poor job explaining them, but got your interest. Uh, what's interesting about the beginning of the novel is that these disparate characters, all of whom were born in Colombia, gather away from Colombia and then for reasons that you lay on the plot, uh, return, and they return with a very unique perspective on their home country. Um, I'm curious about, in your mind, what is the shared nature, not just of them all being Latin American, but of being Colombian, and particularly in this moment, because you introduce us to these characters in a particularly fraught moment. There's a terrorist attack in Madrid at the beginning of the book, a fictional terrorist attack, but one that very easily could be real. At a moment when the old world in which many of these characters sought solace appears to be falling apart, they return to the new world, which in your, in your book is suddenly a fantasia of happiness and reconciliation and recovery. Uh, and yet they share a, a, a skepticism about this new, new Colombia. Yes, because, because well, uh, those characters uh, had experienced more or less something that uh, myself also I experienced. Uh, leaving the country in the 80s and living in Europe and in many different countries of Europe and even in India for a short period. But being always surrounded by all these immigrants that they left in the 80s, escaping violence, bombings, uh, economical crisis, and in the, in the last five or seven years, the movement I have seen from Europe, I was living in Europe, was the opposite. All those immigrants were coming back to Colombia because in the 80s, Europe was like our future. But in 2010, it's like, no, we were the future of them because now the bombing is in their cities and the economic crisis is in their societies and the violence is in, in, in those places. So many people is coming back, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not a beautiful dream. It's even sad. I have now, well, of course, myself, I also returned to Colombia two and a half years ago, but for different reasons, but this is another story. I see, was in, in those years I have seen people coming back, and, and in the airports, for instance, there are a lot of groups of familiar groups waiting, the relative who is coming 
back after 20 years. And it's very, it's, 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 it's beautiful to see these people, two hours, they arrived two hours before, with, uh, they are training with music, even with a small freezer of, full of beers, and a chair for the grandmother. And they wait, and they wait, and they have this uh, welcome to the country. And finally, the person arrives, and it's with a child in the hand, almost always. And I, I, I can feel that it's, 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 there is something sad inside, because these people who comes back without any, with their hands empty, without any, because they were, most of them, coming back from Spain, where they have been working for two decades, and they probably, most of them, lost their houses in this economical crisis in, in Spain. But also from Italy, from Greece, from Portugal, less, from, less people from France, but in France, the, the, the immigration was different, was most political than economic. So, looking this these movements in the opposite sense of the 80s. I, I, I wanted to write a story of characters that were in the middle of this crowd, but coming back or returning to the country for different reasons. But explaining and in a certain way hidden in the middle of this crowd that is coming to the, to the, to the country. And what what is in the country, in, 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 in this new Colombia, after the peace process, but is, is, is also a divided society. No? And very, the division is very profound and it's even aggressive for some reasons. There is a part of the society who wants to go ahead Believing in a new country, as, as I think, the agreement, the, the peace agreement in Colombia is next, our second independence. But there is another part of the society which is against, for many different reasons. So, in, in my in my book, I was I was writing in 2015, so it was before or even the signing of the peace agreement and all that happened last year. So I was in my, in my, in my, in 2015 I was imagining this country reconciliated where all the patterns were new and now the big pattern was the forgiveness. Yeah, I was going to say what the, the, the way you write about it in an imagined sense is very heightened and you said the churches begun giving away free Wi-Fi. The most popular show on television involves people forgiving other people. Uh, it, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a sort of heightened uh, uh, fantasia and yet the characters who come back express, uh, and, I, and I, this is how much I like it, I wrote it down myself. Um, that nothing you write nothing more like there's nothing more likely to generate conflict socially speaking than the pursuit of happiness, yeah. <laughs> and that and that though the people around them who are sort of I think you relate it to people like in week two of recovery when you're sort of high on having recovered without thinking about what's down the road, um, your characters who have just been in the midst of violence and turmoil still um, 
say the world was still substantially the same, that you can't just flip a switch and make it better, no matter how much we may wish we could. Yeah. Well, I think in, in Colombia happens the same than in many other regions of the world. When, when there is an element that covers a big part of the reality, and suddenly this element disappears, which was the war. It's like you see the real, the real society, and you see the real problems. And the problem was the same 200 years ago, which is uh, part of the society is very conservative, very religious, related with the conservative way of of uh, think and imagine a society. And at the same time, a, an economic, of course, way of uh, understand the country. So nothing must change. This is a, one part of the society. And the other one says, no, we must do some changes with that one. We must try to build a society much more, much more equal because one of the biggest problems in Colombia and all South America is the inequality. We say inequality, mm -hmm. economically talking, of course. That's what, that's the origin of violence and the origin of many things in our country. So today, the big, the big challenge is to find a language for all. But at the same time, it's very difficult because uh, there are economic interests. Even chaos is a business, you know. No? So sometimes people, there are some people that don't doesn't like any change because they are in the in the strong position with the with the situation like this. So they don't want to 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 be in front of the risk probably of losing something or a small, not even a small part of this big that they have. And I think the country must change, must, must have a change. So the people who is against the peace process are saying, if we sign the peace process and we put it in, we are going to be like Venezuela. So all the people are scared because nobody wants to be in that situation in Colombia. Not even the people who is in left politics. So this is the big problem between between the two parts of the, of the society. But coming back to the to the novel, what is interesting for me is discover how when Colombia is like a is a, is a beautiful country. If you see for an airplane, it's mountains, it's green, it's, the water is clean. But all this is like a rock. And if you look what is down, it's, it's probably it's horrible because it's our past of war, our 50 years or more of violence is there. So the exercise to take out this rock and to see the real, the reality, 
it's painful, but it's, it's, uh, we do, we must do that. Otherwise, we cannot go ahead. And that's, that's one of the big problems. And so in, in, in my novel, this is a contradiction because my characters are coming back in the middle of this crowd that comes back with the light of the peace and the new country. But at the same time, there are many dark eyes that are waiting, like wanting or waiting for the correct moment to give back the country to the privileged situation. So there is like this uncomfortable situation for my characters, but of course because they are coming back to Colombia not for uh, for the forgiveness, but the opposite for revenge. For revenge. Oh, before I open it up to, to questions from all of you, I did have to ask about one other character, major character of the novel, um, who is not Colombian, who is uh, the French poet Arthur Rimbaud, whose life is told in in fantastic detail throughout the book. Um, I, I am curious about the decision to include him in it, and also the role that you feel he plays in the narrative, because as we've come to discover in the story, and there are no spoilers for historical figures, sorry, uh, for him the idea of return, to return to home, is suffused with this deep sadness. It was to fail, rather to, to succeed in, in his life, past the boundaries of his art, was to escape. And so I imagine that was one of the reasons why he was tied into it, but still you He's a major, major plank of the novel. Yes, well, I, I like, uh, in my novels, always have like a dialogue with uh, some classic form or classics in literature. So even talking with very contemporary problems or dealing with contemporary points of view of life, or the world, like it is, I like also have this mirror with the, some, some, with things that comes from the past. And in this case, it, it's for me very important, uh, the poet, the French poet Rimbaud, because for many reasons. My, my, my book, my novel, Return to the Dark Valley, comes, the title comes from a quotation from William Blake, which actually I want to, to read you in order to understand better because we have been talking about migration and life uh, elsewhere and in different places and how life can be in a certain way defined also defining the travel because uh, many philosophers uh, say compare the, the life as a long travel and some of them say also that our first when we Burn, we arrive to our fir first foreign country. So life must be a long migration. And the return, in that point of view, was at the end of the life. We returned to the same point we were before. And this is a problem. This idea of return is also a literary question from the beginning. It's the literary question of uh, Homer, Homer, Homer in the uh, Odyssey. 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 It's in Odyssey. So my Spanish return. <laughs> he speaks very good Spanish. No, I'm sorry about uh, pronunciation. So if you see Odyssey, Odyssey is the, the first big story of a return 
And after Odyssey, the whole history of literature and philosophy is around these ideas. Ithaca is, is a symbol also, is a metaphor of a place where we want to return. But it's a literary question because it doesn't exist in, in the real life, because we cannot return, because we are not anymore the same, because time changes. And time is also the big theme of literature and poetry. So we are not anymore the same. So return is, is a poetic, poetical idea. It's a poetical question. And use uh, poetical questions or literary questions used to have literary answers, of course. That's, that's why in my novel I introduce Rimbaud as one of the, for me, the first travelers of the 20th century, even if he traveled in the 19th century, and also the literary answer of the return. But this is the quotation of William Blake that Rimbaud, of course, read when he was living in London. And it comes from William Blake. And thinking in this idea of migration, we have these verses. That man should labor and sorrow and learn and forget and return to the dark valley whence he came to begin his labors anew. So those verbs, no? Labor and sorrow. And I love this, learn and forget and return <coughs> to the dark valley. I think all this book is trying to to explain these these verbs, no? labor and sorrow and learn and forget and return to the dark valley. This is this is a, a long journey in a in a in a whole life. So Rambo was I'm sorry, Rambo was an incredible poet that wrote his all all his opera between 14 and 19 years old. At 19 he stopped and never uh, he, he, he never wrote other poems. And but he lived 19 years more. So his life is divided in two. His first 19 years, of course childhood and then writing, and then 19 years incredible adventures in the almost in all Europe and then Northern Africa. So my, my, my idea is that his second part of the life was the, the poetry was in his life. He was writing a poem with his own life. He was not write, writing, but he was living inside a, a, a big poem. And when I write the second part of his life, he's trying also to, to discover that poetry in his life. And I discovered that poetry in his life, looking his life through characters from my own world. Because for the young Colombian poet, Manuela is one of the main characters. She's also young poet saved by poetry. This is an idea very, for me, very important. How literature and poetry can be a shelter for people. How literature is is a way of exercise spirituality and in that way can save uh, disparate people 
like Rambo. Rambo was was looking for something which was completely beyond his own life and probably forces. And he was trying to get there the first with the poems and then with, with, with his incredible travels and, and incredible adventures. And these migrants in the 20, in, in 2015, 2014, are doing other travels, but I, but, but are also doing those, those uh, also they are also looking for something which is beyond them and trying to uh, arrive to some place where they can probably feel safely or happy. And this idea of uh, having a mirror from Rambeau and his poetry with the, with the con contemporary characters is also built by the, by the fact that the story returns itself, no? not only human beings, but this collective of human beings that we call history. Because in the 19th century, when Rambeau was left Europe, Europe was destroyed. <clears throat> it was the war between German, Germany and France, the destruction of, of the whole of the system of politics in, in, in France. And today, Europe is, uh, with the terrorism, with the bombings, with the violence, their economical crisis is, is uh, almost finishing with this idea of, of a welfare state that they had. The migrations, the people, desperate, desperate people coming from the war in Middle East, the others that left, that leave because they, for return to their places, to their countries of origin, and in the middle of the, all of that, Europe it's, uh, itself, the people from South Europe, immigration, the young people from Italy, Spain, Portugal, Greece, they are now migrators to the North Europe, which is rich. If you go today to Amsterdam, a restaurant, or to Copenhagen or London, the waiters are, are not anymore Colombians or Filipinos, like 20 years ago. Uh, no, are Spaniards, Italians, Portuguese, and Greeks. So, of course, they are Europeans, but they are migrants inside this dream of Europe. But, they dream, but that dream is crack. It's like doing cracking somewhere, because they are also helped by the social uh, security of those new countries in the north. And the citizens of those countries start to say, but why we must pay for these young people from Italy, Portugal, that come to our country? Uh, and all this idea of European Union is, is very, very, very uh, in danger because of all that. So it's, uh, I think history has also his returns, not only us, as human beings, and literature also comes back to the same themes and, themes and issues. And the return itself is a poetic idea, no? because we want to return to something that we can call probably a lost paradise. And what's that? It's probably our childhood 
or some moments in life that we lost probably forever. And, and this, this, this nostalgia, it's the, 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 the desire of a return. No? And all these elements are, are present in, in this writing. Well, one thing that I appreciate so much is you mentioned uh, the importance of things from the past in the book and the bones of history that are under the feet of every one of these characters. But in all of your writing, there's also a very uh, keen sense of the present. Uh, there are references to the films of Wong Kar Wai and novels of Haruki Murakami and binge-watching Breaking Bad, which is relevant to my interests, as, as, as well as the, the ultimate uh, North Star of any traveling person in the 21st century, which is the comfort of a chicken sandwich and a Diet Coke from room service, which recurs throughout all of your books. So I, 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 I don't even have a question other than I appreciate the balance of the old with the very, very contemporary new, that that seems a priority to you to keep yes. the work alive. And there is something important for me to tell you, and this, so we are talking about all this, but my novel is not a, a sociology essay. No, it's a, it's a novel. I think all these elements are in like it's like music behind. Uh, I like so much to write, and we were talking about that with Andy today. How, uh, for instance, elements from the crime fiction or noir uh, are very important for me because the curiosity of the reader is something very helpful for the writer. If you can, if you have, the, if, the, if the reader is curious, he will keep reading. So you can tell him whatever you want. He will he'll read and continue reading because he wants to know what will happen at the end, or not exactly at the end, but at least uh, a little bit ahead. So it's important for me this, and uh, I like so much to use that element, elements from the noir. It doesn't mean that the novel is 100% noir. I also like so much uh, from other genres, like historical novel, love stories, and all different. I think today the novel is, is like a big box where you can put inside many essays, historics, and even, yes, like pop fiction and all that kind of ways, all that contemporary elements. And comparing, to, I like so much comparing, as you say, the, the life of today and by the eyes sometimes or, or with a mirror from the classics. One of the biggest artists my country, probably you know, Fernando Botero, said once in an interview something that I, I, I like so much. He said, All the drawings I did in my life are authorized by the history of art because he is permanently dialoguing with that. And I would, would like to, to, to say the same with literature that all the words I've written. I would like to imagine that are authorized by the history of literature because there is also this this dialogue with the with the common 
because in, you know, in the in literature, you can choose your family tree, because we have a tree here. You can choose, this novel comes from other novels, and this, these others from others. And at the end, all the novels and all the poetry and literature is like a collective construction. You put one piece, a new small brick, in addition of many, many other things behind. So the, this is also an idea that I like. Literature itself is a, is a character of my writing. I, I like my books to be like a, play, like a place, like a place with many doors, and the reader arrives there and, and can open one of these doors and probably go to another book, and then to another, and then to another. And this is, I think, this is a nice way to to live discovering all the time these books that, that follows after another and uh, a previous and, uh, and another one. This is a nice way to, to spend the time of the life. Speaking of collective construction, let's bring the audience into our conversation. Um, does anyone have any questions they'd like to, to direct towards Santiago? Mm -hmm. Of course. Uh, well, I I, um, I heard that you are uh, asking for writers in Latin America that inspired me. Female. Female. Clarice Inspector from Brazil. Uh, Silvina Ocampo from Argentina. And today there are a lot of extraordinary writers, uh, women writers, about uh, in English is because in Spanish, when you say escritora with the A, you, you don't, it's not necessarily precise. But new generations, uh, there are extraordinary uh, writers, for instance, from Mexico, from Mexico, Guadalupe Nentri. If you like to read Latin American literature, you must read Guadalupe Nentri, Valeria Luiselli, you must read my. Colombian colleague Margarita Garcia Roballo. Uh, and I think today is, uh, is, is a big boom of uh, young women writing. And this is, in, this is marvelous because 50 years ago, when in the 60s, where Carlos Fuentes, Garcia Marquez, and all of this, Latin America was so different. And of course, so. How do you say machismo? Machismo. machismo. <laughs> Don't tell me that it's a Spanish word in all the languages. <laughs> At that point, that the the wives of the writers, famous writers, were more considered than the women writers. No? It was much more famous and celebrated. The the wife of Garcia Marquez or Vargas Llosa. Well, Vargas Llosa today is even more. Than, I don't know, than Clarice Inspector, for instance, who was a writer, woman. So I think today is not anymore like this. Of course, we are far away from the perfect world, 
but it's uh, an important way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have two questions. Um, the first one is, you talked about your earlier writings. Uh, only three of your books have been translated into English. Are there any plans to translate your earlier works into English? One. And two, you read the quote from William Blake uh, from your book, but there's another quote by uh, Roberto Milano, who's a very famous Latin American writer. Yeah, of course. Well, first question, it depends to be translated, all the books translated, it depends not on me. In a certain way, it depends on you, <laughs> the readers. <laughs> of course, if, if the publisher house they understands that the readers wants to read more they will publish and I will be happy. And then for the second quotation, which is comes from Am Amuleto. Okay. Amulet. Amulet. Is uh, because even though the Abyss swallowed them, the song continued in the air of the ballet, the mist of the ballet. And this is I think it's beautiful because is related to this word that Bolaño, uh, I think, described with a very poetical, in a very poetical way. And this is this idea of the young artist, the young poet, or the young man who wants to change intensively the world. And he probably knows that it's not possible to do it. And he probably knows that this fight is lost beforehand. But anyway, he goes out and do the fight, even knowing that, that it's lost. And this is, there is kind of beauty in this, in this idea. And when, when Bolaño talks about the valley, it's because so, uh, Latin America is seen like a long valley where those, all those young dream, dreamers were there trying to change but when they, the person who is talking arrives they are not in order. The valley is alone but there is still the song they were, they were singing when they were there. And this is also an idea that relates how Latin America altogether can have a, a destiny together. You know? Even if we are different countries with many small uh, problems, it's like, yes, but at the same time we are, we are this big valley where some, some, some music is still there. And it's the music of the people who previously died trying to build a new a new world for us. And this is the Amlet that Bolaño talks about. So in my in my novel it, it's important because it's like returning to this dark valley of William Blake, but it's also this Latin American valley where probably things can be better. We have time for two more. We have two more. Um, 
I don't mean to offend you by this question, but there was a recent historian who wrote about um, uh, serving, the Serbian War, and he interviewed people who survived the violence, and they felt they were more alive during that violent time than they ever were in peace. Mm -hmm. And the uh, incidents of suicide were measurably lower during the war. This survival mechanism that kicks in, and the almost euphoria, the removed ecstasy mm -hmm. that occurs when people are in crisis in the body that, um, that's realized in those relationships. It's completely true. And I want to ask you about how that would be situated in Colombia. And and if we are, as you so beautifully described Europe in the collapse of the welfare state, mm -hmm. well, how can you peaceably, I, I, yes. you know, how can you narrate a return given where do we go from the class of the welfare state? What are the possibilities? They don't feel peaceful and they don't feel yeah. like a return. But well, many interesting things in your, in your question. I think the first part of your question is true. The, the war and the violence, it's easier because it's natural in the human being. And this is not me because I'm not a philosopher, but it's, it's Kant who said that. It's, it's, the violence is, all, is, is nature. The peace is always something that must be accorded and built. So it's easier to exercise violence because when you exercise violence, your own violence is against your enemy. But when you do peace, that your violence is against yourself because you must sacrifice and uh, shake hands with someone that probably you hate or someone killed your people. You must do that, otherwise societies cannot think Shakespeare. Shakespeare is the, the poetical justice, the final justice. That, but what happened in Shakespeare at the end? Everybody dies. If you compare with Chekhov, <coughs> in Chekhov, there are also many contradictions between the people. They hate uh, one to others, and they hate between them. But what happens? At the end, they talk and they argue for hours, and finally, okay, okay. They arrange, they find some way of according or arrange, and they, they come back to the houses alone, frustrated because of, oh, I did a lot of sacrifices, and they are frustrated, but they are alive, and it's always better to be alive. No? So it's even in literature you can see that. And it's true, it's true, and then the violence, I, I always felt a contradiction with the, this idea of Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Uh, I don't know if I can say in English, but you can help me. The, the man is good and society, el hombre es bueno y la sociedad corrompe. Ah, the man is good, the society breaks it, it's right? It's broken. This is, this is a romantic idea, but I, I, I think it's the opposite. See? As Kant said, the, the man is violent in his nature, and the society educate him 
I have a son, and you probably have family also, and we know perfectly that our kid naturally doesn't. Uh, if he has a problem with another kid for a toy, they don't uh, sit down and talk <laughs> until they have an agreement, no. This is something that you must put inside with the education because it's, it's not in it's not nature in his nature it's not inside us it's something that you, we must learn to be tolerant to be uh, all this we have this in the civilization that's why we call it civilization because probably the human being also in all history with, uh, with uh, understood little by little that there is a way of living better doing this and this and this and avoiding this and this and this but sometimes there is a collapse and uh, the society or the contradiction is so big that the society cannot the language or the ideas don't have the possibility to 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 make an accord Right. And then there is war, and the war, and the war is the most expression of violence, but at the same time, it's cultural. It's an expression of culture also. Remember that the Western culture began with a war, the Troya, Troy, Troy, Troy. Sometimes I think that the Troy war is never, never ended, because after some periods comes back, but there are the different kinds of war, of course, and so there are some wars that is wars, not wars, wars that it's important to do, and others that it's important to finish. <laughs> Thank you. Very interesting question. Brian, I hope your question is about yeah. civilization. Uh -huh. as, as, as sort of some immigrants, um, I'm very interested in this idea of return, you have a son yourself, and, and I'm curious about those kids that you talked about that are always sort of in hand when people are returning to Colombia, and what is, what is the Colombia that these children are returning to, Colombia that they've never been to, and what this idea of return, not just to a place that no longer exists, but a place that never existed for them. Well, you know, places for the kids, living in one country and living in a family that all the time is having nostalgia of another place, those places become like, like a paradise or like a dream place for a, for a kid. Uh, when when, uh, when I, I remember my own experience when I was, when I was very, very young, when, when, I, when I was a Four, four years old, my parents decided uh, a very exotic idea, uh, not having any relation with Italy. They decided to, my brother and me, to put us in this Italian school. So suddenly I was in Bogota every morning singing the Italian anthem every morning in Bogota for years and years and studying the geography of a country who was not Colombia uh, and uh, the regions and 
the, the, the CDs and all that, the history. The, and suddenly, when I was nine years old, we went to live one year in Italy with my parents because they had a scholarship to go there. And I, when I arrived to Italy, it was like, no, this is not, this is not possible. This is not the same place that I have in mind. No? So imagine how, how can, uh, how big is for a kid who, who listen to his parents every day and his friend, and the friends of his parents talking and dreaming and with the nostalgia of one place uh, and uh, doing things like in this place and cooking the kitchen of this place. No, I, I have been, I remember in France, in Paris, uh, economic migrators, they reproduce the life, the Colombian life in, a, in an incredible way. They, I think they are the real Colombians much more than the Colombians in Colombia. No. They are professional Colombians. <laughs> because they are Colombians every second, every minute of the day. And they, they feel they feel aggressed by other uh, uses or forms to live. And this is incredible. And the kids, when arrive to the country, oh, I think that the country is so small for their imagination and for their dreams. You know? Thank you. Well, I want to thank everyone of you here for being with us tonight, and especially would like to thank Santiago for joining us. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.